The interview with BJNN is brought to you by BizEvents, connecting the Central New York business community through events. We're back with Mayor Walsh, the 54th mayor of the city of Syracuse, which was incorporated in 1848, so you can do the math and see how many years the average mayor was in office. My arithmetic says 3.1, so I'm sure he'll be in office for eight years and that number will go up. Let's hope so. <laughs> Um, one of the things uh, we've talked about efficiency in government before, and we've talked about your working with the Common Council and, and the uh, budgeting process, but one of the things in running this city, it's always amazed me how you can ever do it and come out with a budget that's balanced or maybe even has a surplus, is the fact that something like 50% or more of the properties in the city yeah. are not on the tax rolls because they're not for profits. Right. Or I'll throw in another category, which would be state government sure. uh, properties and offices, federal government offices, for which there's no compensation. Now, I think most of the audience realizes that some of the companies, uh, institutions like Syracuse University, have come to agreements over the mm -hmm. years, and my guess is some of the hospitals uh, have as well. Just Syracuse University. Just Syracuse University. You heard it here first. Krauss uh, Hospital did have a, a, a brief uh, agreement with the previous administration, but at, at this point... Expired? Uh, it did. Okay. So we certainly won't use the word taxing not-for-profits because some will go ballistic, but we'll call it a service fee placed on these not-for-profits for benefiting from city services such as police and fire. Right. Uh, and a number of other services that are costly to the city. Um, what's your plan for convincing these not-for-profit corporations and governmental entities to, in fact, uh, come to an agreement on service fees? Well, I, it, it starts with relationships. Um, you know, I've had conversations with the heads of all of our major nonprofit institutions. Um, and, and while you can look at it from a negative perspective in terms of their presence in the city as it relates to the uh, to property tax generation, but as I think you would certainly agree, Norm, there's a significant benefit to having those institutions in our city as well. And so you have to look at both, um, and, and that's what we're trying to do. My conversations with the with the heads of these institutions has been that we value uh, their their presence here in the city. They they add significant value to us, uh, but it uh, it doesn't necessarily make up for the fiscal challenges that we have in delivering those services. Um, I I uh, I don't I am not inclined to prescribe a, a, a specific uh, solution for um, uh, that that works for all institutions. I think they're each different and they need to be handled differently. For a Syracuse University. Uh, they have felt uh, comfortable in providing us with, uh, with those uh, service payments uh, in a way that, that has certainly helped us. Uh, I think we have to uh, continue to build those relationships with the other institutions to figure out what the right formula is there. Uh, but again, they add significant value. We want to be partners to them, uh, and I think we're off to a good start there. Do you, uh, let's take Syracuse University as an example since uh, they have so many events and you're responsible for policing those events. Uh, is there uh, a way that you have measured the cost of the services you provide so that this is not an abstraction when you're talking to these uh, entities? It's, it, it's, a, it's a good point, and I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what, you know, what the specific costs were for every 
you know, uh, for every public event. Although that, you know, at least as it relates to Syracuse University, that's where uh, that's where uh, a lot of the payments stem from are the costs associated with uh, providing police services for dome events, for mm -hmm. example. So, uh, but your point is well taken, and I think to the extent that we continue to have those conversations, uh, they have to be informed by the facts and by real numbers. And I don't think it's fair for me to just expect to put my hand out and, and uh, for uh, for everyone to you know to to cough up some additional resources for us. I think we have to we have to make the financial case, uh, and and that will certainly be part of the process. Okay. Well, you're not alone in governing the city. So you have to work with the Common Council. Yeah. And since you're not a member of one of the major parties, I'd be curious how your relationship is with them. And then the second part of the question is we can get to the county, uh -huh. since you obviously have a relationship with the county yeah. and overlap. Uh, let's start with the Common Council. So I, I, I've been very pleased with, uh, with my administration's relationship with the council. Uh, we certainly haven't agreed on, on everything, and you know, there have been certain... Um, certain pieces of legislation that we've put forward that uh, that haven't been uh, haven't been approved um, we've had to negotiate on a number of different areas but uh, just as I said with the budget process it, it, it really comes down to uh, to how we engage with them and having served as a department head in the previous administration I had a sense for what worked and what didn't and in my experience when I, I worked closely with my uh, with my uh, committee, chair on the council, which in, in my case is the economic development guy, was uh, was for the mo most of the time was Khalid Bay. Uh, anytime we had, uh, I had a, a piece of legislation that, that was coming, I would sit him down first and I would talk to him about it, address any questions or concerns, perhaps bring in, you know, if it was related to a developer or a business, bring them in. Uh, the committee, uh, the committee chair then can then communicate with uh, uh, his or her uh, colleagues, mm -hmm. and it, it all comes down to communication. Again, it doesn't mean that we're always going to agree, um, but at least that way, um, there's a respect of the of the legislative part of the process, and and we're giving them the information they need to make an informed decision. Okay. I've tried to reinforce that with uh, with my department heads in this administration. Uh, it's a work in progress, um, but so far so good. All right. Well, a few years back, the tax sharing on the sales tax was the big, big question. Yeah. Uh, is that settled for the moment? Or uh, are you still negotiating? It's, it? it's very much a big question. Um, you know, I was uh, in the previous administration, I was on Mayor Miner's uh, kind of internal team working on the sales tax negotiations. Um, and I learned a lot from that process. And, and I think most would agree that the city benefited from, from that process and from that agreement. A lot of credit goes to Mayor Miner, but also you know, County Executive Mahoney at the time and, and, and the legislative bodies at the council and the ledge. Um, the good news is uh, not only was I involved in that process in some way, but uh, County Executive Ryan McMahon was too um, at the time in his, in his role as a county legislator. Mm -hmm. So we have that historical perspective. We've talked a lot about it just uh, over the past month or so since he's taken office. And uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to work towards, uh, you know, it, it expires every 10 years. So we're coming up um, um, on a renegotiation and uh, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to, we're going to work it out sooner rather than later. I can't believe 10 years has gone by already, or and almost 10 years. Almost 10 years, years. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we, we're talking about it, we're working on it and, um, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to, that we're going to work it out and be able to move on to other things. Okay, so we've covered the Common Council, we've covered uh, your relationship with the, uh, with the county, and I think one of the, one of the questions um, which might not be a directly related to 
uh, with business people concerned about economic development. But obviously, I think the uh, the major question, one of the major questions you always have to deal with, is the question of poverty mm -hmm. in the in the uh, city itself. Yeah. Um, much longer term uh, problem. Is that something? you can deal with or, or you're dependent on state, particularly federal funds, to try to deal with that question? Yeah, I, I think it's all of the above. Uh, certainly a lot of the resources that we have to uh, to address poverty come from the, the state and federal government uh, in the form of at the federal level community development block grant funding uh, and at the state level a, a number of different um, a number of different departments. The way in which we as an administration have tried to address the poverty issue is, is to really dig into the data and understand what are when all other things are equal. And you have to understand that a lot of what is impacting our economy, as you and your readers and viewers know better than I do, it, is a result of global macroeconomic forces that we have really very little or no control over. So taking those out, when all other things are equal, where are the areas where we have an ability to, uh, an opportunity to move the needle and where we are lagging behind our, our peer communities. So we've spent a lot of time just recently looking at some of the recent census data and we have identified uh, some specific areas where we think that there are opportunities to, to make significant changes. When you look at Syracuse compared to even our upstate communities, um, you know, we are, we are uh, lagging behind when it comes to internet access. Uh, half of our city residents do not have access to a computer uh, in their home with broadband access. That's a significant barrier to poverty. And again, we're lagging behind our peer communities. Housing stability, something that our innovation team has been focused on this entire year. 25% of our city residents move at least one time every year. And if you think about any, all of us have moved at one point, how disruptive that is in your life. Think about having to do that in poverty and not by choice. Perhaps you're facing an eviction. Uh, perhaps um, you know, there are code violations at, uh, at, um, where you're living and you have to, you're forced out of the home. Um, those are those barriers where uh, we have an opportunity to, um, to make an impact, to really start to, to move the needle. There are others, uh, educational attainment, workforce development, transportation is another one. We're lagging behind our peer communities when it comes to um, access to, to, to reliable public transportation. So that's where we're really trying to focus our efforts so we so we can start to make up some ground. Okay, well one, one question I hear all the time from the business community is that we have job openings and we don't have people to fill them. Right. In fact, nationally there are more job openings than there are people unemployed. Yeah. Rare, rare occurrence for us. Uh, is there something specifically that the city can do to uh, train the people who are in the poverty, who are on uh, a poverty level, mm -hmm. um, so that they can take the jobs that are, that are open? Is that is that a possibility? Uh, it is, and it's something that we're very focused on. It's not easy, uh, but but there are there are ways to do it. First is addressing some of those barriers that I talked about that 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 keep people from either attaining the right uh, education or, uh, or skill level uh, or keep them from getting to work. So there are those basic life barriers. Right. Uh, beyond that, there is uh, more uh, um, directly addressing that misalignment between the jobs that are available and the skills that the workforce has. And again, to your point, as is the case with most of our issues, it's not unique to Syracuse. But we, we can look to specific areas locally where we have uh, where it's it's working better. I start with the Syracuse City School District. Um, 
all urban uh, school districts have significant challenges due to primarily due to uh, related to the poverty levels. Um, and when you look at this district's graduation rate, for example, as a whole, it's 64%, which is nowhere near acceptable. It is headed in the right direction. But if you dig down a little bit deeper and you look at uh, our, our um, high school, the Institute of Technology at Central, ITC, located right downtown, uh, where the majority of our career and technical education programs, CTE programs, are focused. Our graduation rate at that school is 93%. And we're not skimming from the, the, the top. These are kids uh, that are coming from throughout the city uh, that are interested in specific areas uh, where they can get skills, uh, real-life skills that, can, that they can apply either if they go on to college or if they, if they are looking for a different path, apply directly to a job. So we're trying to build the capacity of the school district to do more in the CTE arena, and we have a partnership council of businesses uh, that are supporting us in that effort and seeing the value in that effort. We think we can do a lot more and, and extend it beyond the city through some regional partnerships. Um, you also have to look at our workforce development partners, make sure that the people are receiving the right training. Uh, there are some good smaller models, what they're doing at SUNY uh, Educational Opportunity Center, C SUNY EOC, uh, the work train program that Center State runs. We're doing it on a small level, but the question is how do we scale it in a way that really begins to close that gap? Okay. Um, you undoubtedly have a concern about whether there will be a takeover of the public education system. In Syracuse, is that some of the schools, all the schools? Is that something well, you're wrestling with? The, um, the there was some some recent uh, news that came out that the um, there are a number of schools that were on uh, uh, were on a watch list from the state ed, uh, education department. Uh, most of those schools, four of those schools, uh, uh, made significant progress and were moved off of that list. Three schools. Um, uh, did not, uh, while they did make progress, it wasn't at a level that the state expected. This isn't the first time it's happened in the city. This is what happened with Fowler High School, which led to the uh, to the creation of the Public Service Leadership Academy at Fowler, which uh, again is focused more on that CTE model that we know works. But yeah, we have three uh, three schools in the district right now that uh, face the the threat of a um, uh, of a state control. Um, uh, but we also are we're working very closely with the school district, trying to look uh, at long term what's the right uh, what's the right plan for those schools. It might be the the Fowler model, re redefining what that school is, creating a different school. Um, but we have to remind ourselves that as much as it's important to look at the data and the numbers, um, these are real people, these are children um, that we owe uh, the the very best educational opportunity for them. And if, if they're not getting it for whatever reason, whether it's due to those poverty barriers, whether it's due to other extenuating circumstances, if they're not getting the education that they need and they deserve, uh, something has to change. So that's what we're trying to do. Okay. Well, we have covered a number of subjects today, and I'm going to flip the uh, agenda over and ask if there's something we haven't covered that yeah. you would like to talk about. Well, thinking about your um, you know, your your readers and your viewers uh, who who are um, business minded, um, you know, coming from my background and my previous role at the city, an area that I've spent a lot of time uh, working on and and I'm going to continue to is on uh, addressing you know what people describe as the red tape, the permitting process, the zoning, things that uh, that that often take uh, a lot of time and frustration and, and for, again, uh, those that are reading and watching um, what you produce, um, it's costing them money. And I'm, I'm hypersensitive to that and, and, and sensitive to the fact that uh, we don't do it as well as, um, as, we, uh, as we need to. So uh, we spent a lot of time working with our, our, 
code enforcement and zoning offices working through our permit desk, identifying both um, technology solutions and process solutions that can, uh, that can enable us to do a better job at it, uh, but also at the same time combining that with a culture shift and more of a customer service focus uh, and, and understanding the direct relationship between uh, city employees' actions or inactions uh, as it relates to the ability of, of businesses and developers to uh, to make or lose money. So uh, lots more to do there, but we're working on it. What a revolutionary idea. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure you're ready for all the pushback that you're going to get for uh, being a friend of the developers. It comes, uh, it's, it's been happening, you know, from throughout the campaign and um, listen, we need people to invest in this community, and it's and we want people to make money in our community. Mm -hmm. My feeling is when you're talking about uh, uh, asking for public resources to help you in that process, well, then we get we, we get to have a little bit of a say into how you use those resources and make sure that they're aligning your project is aligning with our priorities. Um, but but the idea that we should somehow not be supportive of developers and businesses and others that are that are investing um, that is not something that I subscribe to it that it, uh, in order to to grow as a community we need partnerships like that well as somebody used to walk down the streets Salina Street in particular in the 1940s and watching the revival of downtown yeah um, kudos that's all I can say it's been a pleasure this morning to spend some time with 54th mayor of Syracuse mayor Ben Walsh and I say this affectionately, part of the Walsh dynasty that goes back to his grandfather and his father. And we won't talk about whether there's a congressional run somewhere in the future, <laughs> but right now he's focused on the city of Syracuse and we want to thank him for sharing his thoughts with us this morning. Thanks, Norm. Happy to do it. Thank you. Appreciate ben. it.